Good morning, church, and happy Father's Day. We are so thrilled uh, for you to be here with us and to celebrate this day together. And this is a very special day for me. Uh, I get to have my dad come and speak to us today. And so, uh, if you're new here and you're like, well, who are you? My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad that you are a part of this with us. Today, we're going to get to hear from uh, my dad, Cal Jernigan. And uh, here's what you may not know, but um, as I've gotten older, I've just realized I have something that a lot of people wish that they have. And I just get to be very grateful for that. And so my dad and I have been friends. Uh, we have worked together. Uh, I have incredible, you know, memories and, and just an incredible relationship with them that continues to this day. And, and truthfully, it's just getting better uh, the older we both get. And, and that's been such a joy for me. And so it's so fun for me to get to share him with you. Uh, now, he is a pastor of a church in Arizona. Uh, they have five campuses called Central Christian Church, about 10,000 people on the weekend. And uh, just an incredible ministry that, that he's been a part of for decades. I had the chance to work with him uh, for 12 years and just incredible formative time for me and learning from him and growing and having the opportunity to do all kinds of fun things. And, and so today we are thrilled to have him here. Here's what's crazy. This is not, this is not a joke. Um, he literally spent this last week at the Vatican with the Pope. So I don't know how you spent your week, but that's what he's been doing. And so, uh, you know, directly from the Vatican all the way to Portland, Oregon, uh, would you please help me give a warm, abundant life church welcome to my dad, Pastor Cal Jernigan. Well, good morning, abundant life. I, I got to tell you, I am so incredibly blessed and fortunate to be here and honored to be here. And, you know, I was here on Thursday night on your service and people came up to me and said, tell us stories about Jeremy, tell us stories about Jeremy. Let me tell you why I'm not gonna tell you stories about Jeremy. Uh, there's an understanding when you're a preacher, it's a little saying that goes like this, he who has the mic last wins. <laughs> and so if I would tell you stories about him, he'll tell you stories about me and I lose. And so there's no win in this for me. What I, I do want to say, though, is uh, I want to reiterate what's already been said to you, which is happy Father's Day. It's so good to have you here. Um, this is uh, surreal for me uh, to be here. Now, when uh, Jeremy was a little boy, I used to uh, travel, you know, to youth events, haul him around. And I just remember him sitting there as a little boy, uh, kind of like Gavin does to him these days, his oldest son. And, uh, I, like, I remember the very first time I was teaching, a, not the first time I was teaching a men's Bible study, but the first time I was teaching a men's Bible study that I invited him to come up and he's just a kid and he started talking to people and you think, you know, maybe there's something in this. Maybe God's going to use him in this way. And then I remember the first time I, in a sermon, I asked him to come and share and he stood in front of our church and spoke and well, all that's to say this, to see him today in the role that he's in with you and being the lead pastor at this church is surreal. And for me to get to come here on Father's Day is just a gift. And so I'm so fortunate, so grateful to be here. And uh, I've known George Powell for a lot of years. I've known Jeremy for more years. I feel like I know you and uh, I know people from your church. And so anyway, it's so good to be here. So thank you for allowing me to come. Now I wanna do something with you right now. I wanna get, I, I get you thinking, I wanna get your minds warmed up. So how many of you are good with numbers? Okay, the two of you, uh, that's awesome. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll slow this down so we'll make it easy, okay? So we're going to do a little math equation, and you just, will you play along? Yes? Okay, so I'll put it up here so we won't get lost, and I'll go slow enough, okay? So pick a number between two and nine. Have I lost you yet? Pick a number between two and nine. Okay, you got your number? Here's what I want you to do with that number. Multiply that number times nine. 
Now, it's been a long time since you were in high school. We'll slow down. Carry the one. Okay, whatever. Okay, you got a number? You got the number? Okay, here's what I want you to do with that number. Add the two digits of your new number together. You're going to form yet another new number. Have you done it? Yes? Take five away from that number. Just subtract five. Okay? Got a number? Here's what I want you to do. Assign a letter of the alphabet to the number, whatever you ended up with. So if it's a one, put an A. If it's a two, put a B. You get the idea. Got it? We'll wait. Okay, so whatever country um, you, you uh, excuse me, uh, pick a country that begins with that letter. I skipped that. So you got the, you, you got the, all right, all right, A, B, C, pick a country. All right, got, got, so whatever country you've ended up with, Take the second letter of that country. Think of a large animal. Any large animal. Just come up with something. Okay, is this random enough? This is random, yes? Yes? How many of you right now are thinking about an elephant in Denmark? Raise your hand. <laughs> Look around, folks. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm here till Tuesday. Catch my show. How in the world did that happen? How did it happen? We know it's not like, we don't think like this, right? That was random. How could it all end up that way? Folks, the truth of the matter is, is um, we're not all alike. We don't think alike. And things like that shouldn't happen. Let's just do something. I, I just want to walk you down a road. Uh, I, I just want to ask some questions. We'll, we'll talk about some kind of innate things you were born with and some behaviors you've chosen. All right, so like, let, right, how many of you are introverts? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you are extroverts? Raise your hand. There's the difference. Right there, right there. You see, how many of you are introverts? How many of you are extroverts? All right, we're not all the same. How many of you are right-handed? How many of you are left-handed? A left-handed extrovert. There, there's one in the world right there, right there. Okay, all right, so those are like, we're just innate things we're born with. Let's do something different. How many of you, okay, so right now in your wallet, how many of you have all the money in your wallet, and I just lost a bunch of you? You're like, money in my wallet? Okay, how many of you have all the money in your wallet, all lined up, facing the same direction, incrementally, you know, in denominations? Look around. How many of you do it wrong? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you, when you wash dishes, imagine this is a cup, okay? This is a cup. This is the top. How many of you put the cups in your uh, cabinet that way? How many of you put the cup that way? Okay, I knew when uh, Lisa and I got married, I've been married for 40 years to the same woman, by the way. Um, I knew when she did it, she did it wrong, and I knew we were in for serious trouble because she did it wrong. Uh, let, me, let me take... Um, Okay, we're, are we friends? Okay, let's talk toilet paper. How many of you it goes over before it comes down? How many of you it goes under before it comes down? You think we're done with toilet paper, don't you? We're not. How many of you wad before you use it? How many of you are folders? Okay, you know who you are. All right, I want to 
I want to dispel a myth that uh, we, we just got to establish. We talk about the average person. I, I, what I want to explain to you is there is no average person, all right? We talk about average as if it, it actually, there is no such thing. Average is a concept that's not a reality. Not like, for instance, let me illustrate it this way. They say the average American family is 3.14 people. How many of you have an average American family? You have 3.14 people in your family. And if you do, who's the 0.14? I mean, it just makes no sense, right? You go, it's my little bro. You know, he's nothing. You know. Anyway, um, it, it, it's a concept. It's not a reality. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that n n no two of us are exactly alike. It, it's like when we were created, God goes, no, we're not going to duplicate. And, and, and so we know that like, people are like snowflakes. Then he's talking about snowflakes. And like, who am I to talk about snowflakes? I'm from the desert, all right? And by the way, just for the record, 90 degrees is not hot. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm, you know, I've been wearing a coat all week, all right? It, yeah, it's all relative. Anyway, uh, no two snowflakes, no two set of fingerprints, right? We get all this. No, no retinas are all different. You see, what God did when he made you is he made you absolutely unique. There's only one of you. You're totally unique, just like all the rest of us. And God goes, yeah, just wrestle with that concept. But I want to talk about this. I want to think about this. And um, I want us to kind of understand where this all goes. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to take you back to being a kid. And I, I want to cause you to think about something. Think about when you were a kid and you made a gift for it's Father's Day. So for your dad, and you make a gift. Now, I'm going to explain something. I'll get to this in a moment. I, I don't have a dad. All right. Now, I'll explain that in just a second. So. My illustrations that I'm going to use here have to be about my mom because I was raised by my mom. I didn't have a dad. But I remember when um, like Mother's Day would roll around and, or like her birthday, one of the coolest things to do was to make a gift, actually make a gift. It's better if you make a gift. And so like for my mom, one of the things I used to love to do was make candles. And we would take like a wine glass and put wax in it and color the wax with you know, crayons and we put a wick in there. And the candles would never burn right. And, and I get wax all over the place, and it would look horrific. And, and I would present it to her, and she would say, oh, that's nice. And then I would say, you know, I think I kind of screwed it up. And she goes, and, but it's the, right, you got my mom too. It's the thought that counts. And that's right, right? It's the thought that counts. And then she'd say something just kind of so cool. She'd say something like, well, you know what? I might not use it as a candle, but I could use it as a paperweight. <laughs> and I had no idea, like, like, who has any use for paperweights? Do you guys have any paperweights? Anyone here have a paperweight? What do you need a paperweight for? But my projects were paperweights because what you create is a reflection of the skill of the creator. Fair? Now I want to explain something about you. Every single one of you is a one-off creation of your father in heaven. A one-off creation. There's no duplicates. There's no two of us that are exactly alike. You, you are absolutely unique in, in what God, and, and none of you are a mistake. Now, again, you might be going, oh, yeah, well, you don't know me. No, you're not. None of you were designed to be a paperweight. You, you have a purpose, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. But you were created. You were made. You, your, your Father in heaven created you, all right? And so Scripture says it this way. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, created, out of nothing. There is a very prominent theologian. I don't know if you've ever heard this guy or read his works, but um, a very, very deep-thinking theologian by the name of Dr. Seuss, he said this. 
He said, today you are you. There, that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. You are the most you of anybody. Nobody does you better than you. And you are not a mistake. You're intentional. Now, let me take this a step further and let's go to the book of Ephesians. And it says this, for we are God's handiwork. I want you to stare at that word. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's handiwork. You are a creation of God. You are, uh, well, literally the word handiwork, it, it, it's the Greek word poema, which is how we get the English word handiwork. Poema is where we get the English word poem. A poem is an expression of the heart in an eloquent form. You are an expression of God's heart in a very eloquent form. You are his handiwork. You're his masterpiece. You are not a mistake. You, you, you're, you're not a paperweight. You're not a screw up. Now, again, I'm not saying what you feel like. I'm saying what you are. Uh, you, you are something incredible. So what we're going to do today, and um, I'm going to hustle, uh, is we're going to talk about this sentence right here. So what's your story? What's your story? And I want to, if we were sitting down over a cup of coffee, that's exactly what I'd ask. So what's your story? What's your story? And what I'm saying is, just tell me about you. Because in your story, you would say things that nobody else would say because it's your story. Now, I'm going to give you the big idea. And as I give you this big idea, it's going to sound funny, but I'm going to explain why I had to use the word I used. It is the unique elements of your life that God uses to create the unique story of your life. That's a goofy sentence. I get it. Elements of your life. What do you, what do you mean elements? See, the idea is that God's combining certain things together, okay, you know, like, like chemistry, like we're putting certain things together and we're going to create something and it's going to be totally unique. And the elements that God uses is what I want to talk about for the next few moments. Because God uses these unique elements. Now, that'll make more sense in just a minute. Uh, take your Bible, if you would, please, and open or turn it on and click it to it, whatever you have to, however you get there. Go to, go to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis, first book of the Bible. You should be able to find it. <laughs> open your Bible. There it is, okay? So Genesis chapter 37. Now, I'll get there in just a moment. And before I do, though, let me just walk you through some of the unique things about you, okay? I'm going to point out four things that are totally unique about you. I don't know you, but four things I do know about you. You are unique in your upbringing. Well, what do you mean? I want you to think about where you were born. I want you to think about who your parents are. I want you to think about your siblings. I want you to think about your grandparents. I want you to think about your extended family. Where were you born? When were you born? When were you born? When did you grow up? What was the era that you grew up in? So where and when? And then I want you to think about where you went to school. And I want you to think about the teachers you had. I want you to think about the friends you had. And, and then I, I want to say this. Like, what experiences do you remember about being a kid? All of that is unique to you. Nobody else has that story. Let's just start right there. Nobody else has your story. That's you. You are unique in your upbringing. The second thing you're unique in is in your giftedness. All of you are gifted. And, and, and it sounds good, right? Like, you're so gifted. Like, we love the sound of that. A lot of us doubt that we are. All right? I want to explain something. Uh, all of you are gifted. Now, if you're a believer in God, you're incredibly well gifted. Trust me. You're, you're gifted. Because when you became a believer in God, God gave you two very distinctive gifts. Let me explain it. Number one, he gave you himself. The spirit of God comes to reside in those who open their heart up to him. 
So every one of you who have said yes to God, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, is how the Bible explains, that God gives you. So the Spirit of God lives inside of us. That's gift number one. Gift number two is when the Spirit of God comes inside of you, God gives you a spiritual gift, at least one, for, for you to have a place and a purpose in the body of Christ. So the Spirit of God is the first part of the gift, and when the Spirit comes, uh, uh, some manifestation of giftedness comes with the Spirit. And so you're able to do things supernaturally empowered. Now, you go, whoa, what are you talking about? Let me, let me show you how the Bible explains this. I'm going to take you to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, we're all in this, but we're different. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, the body of Christ, and each member belongs to all the others. We're all in this together. Now watch this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. These are spiritual gifts. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You are gifted so that nobody here can say that I have nothing to contribute to the body of Christ. Wrong. You, 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 you've been supernaturally enabled to, to contribute something. You're gifted. Now, the problem with so many of us is we don't want the gifts we were given. We want somebody else's gifts. We have gift envy. Like, like I want to, like for me, you know, God gifted me to lead and to teach. That's what I do, okay? And I go, yeah, but God, I, I want to sing. And God goes, no. And I go, God, come on, help me help you. Help me help you. Just give me the gift of singing. Because if I could sing, it would be so incredibly cool. I wish I could sing. Folks, I can't sing. I'm horrible. And I can't say how many conversations I had. God, seriously, I'd be so much better with what you, just give me the ability to sing. Because I want to be the kind of preacher, this is what I want. I want to be the kind of preacher who's preaching about something, you know, and like, let's just say we're talking about sin and talking about running away from God and hiding and feeling, you know, just so overwhelmed that, I want to just, I want to be preaching about it, and then I want to just stop, and I just want to break out in song. <laughs> okay, now I told you I can't sing, right? Because I want it to sound like this. Desperado. <laughs> God goes, no, no. No, that wouldn't be better. And I go, God, seriously, help me help you. And God goes, I don't need that from you. You see, God never gifted you to do what he didn't create you to do. He gifted you to fulfill what he created you to do. And, and, and so God comes along and, and, and he just looks at you and he says, no, this is what you can do. This, don't envy what everybody else can do. Find the thing that God gave you to do because you are uniquely gifted. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it this way. Now to each one, and catch this, this is something we never think about, catch this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Let me explain. You were gifted by God, not for your benefit, but for the rest of our benefit. You were gifted, not so you'd be better, but so we would be better. So God distributes his gift among his body. We all get one, at least. And God says, I want you to use that for everyone else's benefit. You won't use it if you're stuck in envy about somebody else's gifts. Going, I wish I had what they had. You're uniquely gifted by God to accomplish the purpose for which you were created. Which takes me to the third one. You're unique in your upbringing. You're unique in, in your giftedness. You're unique in your purpose. 
Do you know that you weren't born on accident? You're not a mistake. You're not a screw-up. You're not a paperweight. You, you were born on purpose. It's been said the two most important days in your life, the day you were born and the day you figure out why you were born. Why were you born? What was God thinking when he decided he needed you? Jeremiah uh, 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God has a purpose for your life. What's the purpose? I'm going to quote a, a pastor, a, a minister from the last century. Um, this, this is such a powerful thing that he said. He said, what does God intend to do with your life? Every man and woman is born into the world to do something unique and something distinctive. And if he or she does not do it, it will never be done. What's the unique thing you were born to do? What, what did God purpose your life for? And, and again, you might go, I don't know, I don't got a clue. When, when, when you want to figure that out, what, what lifetime are you going to wait for to think this stuff through? Because we're all on a clock and God's going, figure this out. Fulfill your purpose. And, and God's not going to be done until we do. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You're not an accident. You're not a second thought. You're not a mistake. You're not a paperweight. So unique in your upbringing, unique in your giftedness, unique in your purpose. And you know what? You're unique in your training. It's a weird way to say what I'm about to say, but I don't know a better way to say it. Unique in your preparation. God has put something in front of you to get you ready, to get you prepared, to train you up to fulfill the purposes for which you were created. You have a curriculum you're living. You have a curriculum you're working. Your curriculum is not mine. My curriculum is not you. God customizes the curriculum to the creation to uniquely get you ready for what he's prepared you to do, what he's created you to do, the purpose. And so he's going to put you through certain things. Now, I want to say something, and everybody to pay attention to what I'm about to say, because I don't want to lose you here. Everything that's happened to you in your life, everything that's happened is not part of God's plan. God didn't will everything that's happened to you to happen. Every bad thing that's happened to you, God's going, I'm going to let that bad thing happen. I'm going to put that bad thing. God didn't put all those bad things in there. God doesn't do that. But he's allowed it because he knows he can use it. So he didn't cause it. He's not responsible for it. But he's going to do something. With it. He's going to make something good come out of that. And that's what brings us to Genesis chapter 37. Now, from Genesis 37 in your Bible, all the way to the end of Genesis, is the story of a family, a father and 12 sons. And specifically, it's about a guy named Joseph. Right? Now, not Joseph of Mary and Joseph, and you know, the father of Jesus, Joseph, not that guy. But a guy that lived a long time before him. And if you will, join me in chapter 37 of Genesis and Let's just work our way through the introduction, and then I'll, t I'll speed you through the next 13 chapters. And uh, I want to show you how it ends, because it's an incredibly powerful story. It, it goes like this, Genesis 37, 2. Now, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Here's what you need to understand. Jacob is also known as Israel, is another name. Jacob, Israel, same guy. 
has 12 sons. Joseph is the 11th born son, all right? And, and so he's a young buck, and, and his brothers are all, all out in the field. And he comes home, and he tells his dad on them. He snitches on them, tells them what they were doing, and, and his brothers just resent him for that. That's what, you, that's what you're being told. Now, the story gets really dicey right here in verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Okay, that's trouble. That's trouble, right? He's my favorite of my 12 sons. My 11th one is my favorite one because he had been born to him in his old age. And so he made an ornate robe for him. Now, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. They totally resented him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. This is crazy, man, listen to this. We were binding our sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose up and stood up right while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do, do, do you intend to reign over us? Will, will you actually rule us? You're the punk in the family. You're the runt. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And so he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, this as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you have had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, let me just say something, okay? Note to self. If you ever have a dream that your brothers are going to bow down to you, all your siblings are going to serve you, and then you have a dream your mom and your dad are going to join your siblings serving you, note to self, keep it to yourself, right? <laughs> Don't tell anyone this. Keep it to yourself. Well, Joseph doesn't do that. He tells them. And Joseph has a sense that God's going to use him for something incredible. He doesn't understand. He's just a kid. But he goes, I know God's got some incredible purpose for my life. And, and um, you know, can I just tell you now that the next 13 chapters? Well, the hatred of his brothers magnifies to the point that they're going to kill him. But instead of killing him, they decide, let's just sell him. They sell his brother off to a slave caravan going down to Egypt. So his brothers just get rid of him. That's how the story goes. You can read it. And then when he ends up in Egypt, he gets bought by a family, and, and he's a servant, and, and, but he, it's, it's looking really good because he's bought by a guy named Potiphar, and, and he rises up, and, and he's like really, uh, years are passing, here's what you need to know, years are passing, and he's really in a high position in Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife looks at him, and she goes, ooh, he's hot. It's not exactly how it says it, but that's what it meant. Um, ooh, he's hot. And, and she like, she literally grabs a hold of him and says, lie with me. And uh, he said no. And then she did it the next day. And day after day, she'd grab him. And he'd say no. And then one day, she emptied the entire house. And she set him up. And she did her thing. And he ran away. He literally fled. And she grabbed his jacket. It's his jacket that's always getting him in trouble, by the way. Grabs his jacket and runs off. And when her husband comes, you see this? You see this? That Hebrew guy you hired, he tried to rape me. And Potiphar, without a trial, just threw him in jail. And he languished in prison. At what point do you believe God gave up on you and your story? He's wasting years. There's a thing that happens in the prison. 
he, uh, he gets betrayed by a friend, forgotten, and the years go by. You go, it's a, it's a sad story. It's a pathetic story. What about that whole thing about the sheaves and the bowing down? And Well, see, the story's not over. Because when you get to the 50th chapter of the book of Genesis, 47, 48, 49, you start to realize that what's happening is as you read the rest of the story, Jacob or Joseph's going to become second in command to all of Egypt. And there's a huge famine in the land, and he's in charge of all the food. And you know what happens back in Israel? They have no food. And so the father sends the brothers to Egypt, and they show up, and they bow down, and they beg this guy who's in charge of the food. They beg him for food. They bow down, and Joseph looks at him, and he goes, I know exactly who you are. But they have no idea who he is. You ever wanted revenge? You ever want to just take the story over? And I'll, I'll, I'll finish the story. I'll fix the wrong. I'll, I'll write it. And you make it the way you want it to be. Joseph could have just literally just killed them all. He's in power. And then he reveals who he is. Hey, guys. Missed you. And they're like, oh, no. Yeah, how you been? And then we have this. They're like going, oh, no. Like they know they're dead. And then this passage in chapter 50 Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Let, let me explain. Um, I was a cocky kid, and I loved telling stories about how powerful I was going to become. And, and God said, I got to work. We got to do some humility training. We got to put you through some stuff. And so he goes through all of this, and then God goes, okay, now you can handle what I've created you for. And uh, I'm not going to allow you to strike back. And he didn't want to strike back. See, the curriculum that you're going through is not my curriculum. And my curriculum is not yours. But God is putting you through something. He's not causing bad things to happen. But he's allowing some stuff. Because he can use it to shape you, to create in you the person he wants you to become. And uh, the truth of the matter is he's not going to give up on you. You're going to give up on God long before he'd ever give up on you. Philippians 1 says it this way. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All right? Now, what does all this have to do with Father's Day? I only have a few minutes left. Let me explain. It's got everything to do with Father's Day. What I've been saying, the, the whole point of this message, let me backtrack for just a moment. God uses the unique elements of your life to create the unique story of your life. What are the elements he uses? He uses your upbringing. He uses your giftedness. He, he uses your purpose and he uses your, your, your prep, your training. And he puts all that together to create a story about you that is a one-of-a-kind story. It's your story. Now, Father's Day. Um, can I be honest? I always, always laugh when people say that sentence. Well, sure, it's about time. What? You know, why not? Uh, no, I, what I'm saying is, can I be painfully honest? Can I, can I, can I be, like, really honest? Like, um, I, I've never liked Father's Day. Uh, Father's Day is one of the worst days uh, on the calendar for me. And being a preacher, I, I preach more Father's Day sermons than I know what to do. I hate preaching Father's Day. The irony of me being here preaching here on Father's Day is huge. I hate Father's Day. Okay? Now, Why? 
Well, it has to do with my story, which, if you'll allow me just a few moments. Uh, I, I grew up without a dad. I grew up without a dad because my dad left my mom when I was three months old. And he just took off. Now, I don't know why. I don't know what. I've never known my dad. I don't know the other side of the story. I don't know any of that. Um, what I do know is I didn't have a dad. Now, as weird as what I'm about to say is sounds, I'm telling you it's true. I was the only kid I knew when I was growing up who didn't have a dad at home. I know that sounds crazy. I don't know, just the area I grew up. I was the only kid. I was the only one who didn't have a dad. Everyone else had a dad. And people would come over and they'd go to the house and go, where's your dad? And I go, I go, come here, I'll show you. And I walk him down the hall. There's a picture of my dad who was in the Air Force. There's a picture on the wall. I go, there's my dad. I go, where is he? Uh, he's in the Air Force. When's he coming home? I don't know. He's assigned somewhere. I don't know. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be home. But he never came home. He never came home. So I, I grew up with uh, orphan kind of a feeling, all right? And, and so like I was a Boy Scout, and, and they'd have these father-son campouts. And, and I, I remember, now nobody ever said this, but I heard it many times in my head. Like, you know, the troop would all go with their dad, and then there'd be me, and they'd go, uh, why don't you take him? And they'd go, no, we took him last time, you take him. And they never said that, but I always felt that that's what they were talking about. I was always the, the, well, okay, you come with us. And I always felt like, why don't I have a dad? I wish I had a dad, I want so badly to have a dad. And I have a dad. Now, can I suggest there's a deep need in all of us to have a dad? But I didn't have one. So I'm going to make this statement, uh, though it's not an exaggeration. I don't think I'm blowing anything. I don't think I'm aggrandizing anything. The worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life was my dad left. I grew up without a dad. It's the worst thing. Now, don't misunderstand. My mom remarried four times. I had lots of guys come and go. And they all tried to be a dad, right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And they'd come in and, you know, and then they'd leave. And I'd go, yeah. And uh, lots of painful memories. I, I could tell you some incredibly funny stories. I don't have time. Painful stories. Uh, let me just say this. As the years went by, uh, I got no use for a dad. None. Now, I want to remind you of an idea that God uses the unique uh, elements. It's these unique things in your life that God uses to write your story. So, see, when I was a high school senior, I got invited to a camp, a Christian camp with some friends, and, they, and, and I went there and I started hearing about something I had never heard about. I started hearing about Jesus and the gospel and forgiveness and all this stuff, and I'm like, this is awesome. And then they said, yeah, guess what? You get a heavenly father thrown in. And I went, no, no thanks. Had enough dads. And they're going, no, 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 this is not. And it's like, no, this is a huge hurdle for me to work through. Uh, I don't have any, I mean, almost a deal breaker. It was that bad. I got no use. Now listen, and again, I'm going to wind up really quickly. Listen carefully. Whatever memory you have of your dad is a shadow of what your heavenly father is like. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully. That's only true if your dad is good. Your dad, if he's good, is a reflection, a, a, a shadow, if you would, of how good your heavenly father is. But we don't understand this. this. We have to learn this. If your dad is bad, and some of you know exactly what I'm saying, your dad does not mean that's like God. Now, I had to learn that firsthand. So I had to, in faith, accept the fact that God seems to have a desire to adopt me into his family, to welcome me in, to include me, to, to say my life had meaning and purpose and, and all of this is not a random accident. 
And um, I started learning about the scriptures and I ran across verses that was like, like this from Romans 8. It, it said this, I don't know if you've ever read this. We know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. You, you start to realize that what God does is he takes the elements of your life and he blends them all together and he creates one off and it's unique to you. And, and he goes, I've got this one and it's gonna turn, it's gonna turn out so good. Now, remember just a moment ago, I said the worst thing that's ever happened to me was that my dad left. I'm gonna say something, and this is hard to believe, but I'm telling you as I stand here, it's true. Well, I would never wish or will on anybody what I went through, I can honestly stand here and tell you the best thing that ever happened to me in my life was my dad left. No, 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 I don't want that to happen to you, but that's what happened to me, and it's what caused me to come to understand God the way I understand God. And for me to be standing in the church that my son now preaches in is an incredible part of a story of what God's been doing. I told you about taking my son around when I was a, you know, a youth pastor and I, I wanted to be for him what my dad never was for me. And my mom's been married four times. I told you that. I've been married one time. Because God uses these things to shape you, to change you, to create you into the person he designed you to be. It's your curriculum. And I stand here now and I just go, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. And, and uh, I don't know if it's in this service or the next service, but my grandson, Gavin, will be sitting in this service watching his papa preach. Because let me tell you something, and I'll close with this, and I want one more quote. I gotta tell you one more thing, I gotta show you something. But I gotta tell you something. I gotta, gotta tell you something. In, in the story of your life, God lets you write the ending. You, you see, he's not gonna dictate, he's gonna go, no, how, do you, how do you want this to end? And you get to write in, I wanna be married to the same woman all my life. I wanna be a dad who just, and you get to write it in. Um, by the way, I, I got to show you something. I skipped this. I just, everything I just said, forget it. I'm not done. <laughs> I got to show you something. See this book right here? This is the only thing I've got my dad ever gave me. It, it's a book on hunting. Pe people talk about, you know, like I love to hunt. I love the outdoors. I could live in Portland. I'm just telling you, you guys got it. People go, how come you love the outdoors so much? How come you love to hunt? How come you love to fish? What is it? You know what? This is the only thing I've got from my dad. And guess what? I've looked through this book so many times through the years. When I was a kid, I'd go to sleep with a flashlight under the covers looking at this book. You think it's a coincidence? You don't think you need a dad? You have a dad. He's in heaven and he loves you. Last quote, Ravi Zacharias said this. It's so good. He said, the day that each person willingly accepts himself or herself for who he or she is and acknowledges the uniqueness of God's framing process, those are the unique elements, marks the beginning of a journey to seeing the handiwork of God in each life. You are not a paperweight. You are a one-off creation of an incredibly loving father, and you are exactly as you were meant to be. Let's pray. So God, thank you for this. Help us to understand, help us to receive this, help us to get it, help us to think about the purposes of our life, realize why you put us here. 
God, may we quit worrying about what we can't do and start paying attention to what you gifted us to do and do that with all of our heart and all of our passion. Help us to this end, Father, as we celebrate this day. And, 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 and Father, for so many people, today's a great day. Bless them and encourage them and help them have a fantastic experience. For those who are hurting today, comfort them, Father, with the knowledge the story's not over. And you're their Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.